Welcome to another episode of Through the Lens of Christ. I am here with Steve Douster. How you doing, Steve? I am fine, Adam. How are you? Good, good, good. We're also here with Ashley Vorwick, who's our producer. And so I'm Adam Baker, and we uh, we joined together for these conversations to um, really selfishly for the um, three of us, although we can't get Ashley to talk much, but the, the three of us to actually just have some conversation about um, things that are happening in the world and how do we keep a right perspective and how do we see things? Because I can tell you, for at least me personally, when I see things, I respond emotionally. I see things through my perspective. I see things through how they impact me personally, and that becomes my my first movement. Um, and the we, as, as we go through this process of, of sanctification, of knowing God more, that needs to be less and less true, and we need to continually see things through the lens of Christ and understand how does this draw us closer to God, how does this help us to know him more, and how does it help us to appreciate the grace he's poured out on us through Christ and be able to glorify him uh, better. We're being prepared for an eternity of worship and praise, and so how does this life prepare us for that? Having said that, um, we're going to be talking about, um, you know, we, we, we've talked about it before, but we live in, a, in a, um, what was, I think, an advancing post-Christian world. We now live in what I would consider to be a firmly post-Christian culture. Um, and, you know, it's happened, it's been happening over a long time, but it's accelerated over the last 12, to 12 months. Um, now that we are in this firmly post-Christian culture, um, where even not just post-Christian in that, of the church, God, Christ doesn't have an influence in my life, but now heading into Christians are associated with anger and Christians are associated with um, uh, hate and um, often non-Christians are seen as the the loving uh, side. How, how does all that play into the fact that we are to reflect Christ? And so if, if we just go out into the street and if evangelism for us is inviting somebody to church who is either de-churched because of pain in their past or never had any idea about going to church, culturally, church, right, and I'm using air quotes, church, right, this idea of going to a building, a gathering of believers in Christ who are perceived to be angry and unhappy and frustrated, that's not a very appealing thing to invite people to. So we're being called, I believe, in this time to figure out how do we solve that problem? How do we make sure that we are being um, appropriate followers of the Spirit, that God's teaching us in this culture how to minister and be on mission to people? How do we do that obediently? Um, are, do we need to do it differently than we've done it in the past? And what does that look like? So I'll be uh, more specific about kind of what we've talked about a little bit at the elder retreat that happened not too long ago. But talking about this idea of bridges, the idea of how do we build bridges to the community? How do we um, actually show them the Christ in us in practical ways, um, not diminishing the gospel, but certainly showing them Christ in us and showing them our heart for people and our love for people? How do we do that in a way that builds relationship so that we can have spiritual conversations with people? And I think what what I'd like to talk about is, one, is it possible that while we are trying to help people, we can actually be harmful to people? And I mean that helpful in a practical way, harmful in an eternal way. Um, can Is it possible that we can do good things that actually turn out to be not salvifically good? Um, how, do we, how do we navigate all of that as a body of believers who should have a heart for the lost? 
So that's a lot of stuff that I'm just throwing on Steve's lap to answer because we don't have an answer. So I just need him to tell us what to do. But <laughs> I was yeah, I was thinking about that too. I'm like, oh man, if we could figure any of this out, it'll be a really good evening to, to take care of that. I mean, my I guess with all that being said, my first thought was, well, we have to have a starting point of faith. And so you you mentioned earlier that was a, that was a pretty long monologue there. But let me go back. Let me yeah. go back to the first quarter of it. I'm surprised you remembered it. I don't remember I don't. much of it, but I remember only two things. So one, one thing is, one thing is you, you mentioned something about, you know, pe- coming to church with people that are, you know, frustrated and angry and upset. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I guess my first question, I get a question back for you is, yeah. um, can a Christian, a true believer in Christ, could that be their defining characteristic? I mean, mm-hmm. it, as, as, you know, I can tell that person's a Christian because of how frustrated they are about this, that, or the other, or how or how angry they are about this certain circumstance. Therefore, I know they must or surely could be a believer in Christ. So I, I, I go to that to start with because I'm like, I think I'm going to answer for you because I think I know what you're going to say. Is, now who's no, on monologue? Yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> this is my turn to rant. So so so, but it's like no, no, no. That's not if if we're reading the Bible and understanding what a true believer is. A Christian is not characterized by frustration, anger, and 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 these things. They're characterized by love, love for one another, love for the church, and love for Jesus, which is the fountain of all of that kind of love. So so that's that's one thing. Can I just jump in there? Of course, quick. So because um, I agree with everything you said. And I think that part of our challenge, too, in this is not just in the church. It's also how Christians are being branded. And yes. we we as believers, even as as true believers, have really done a poor job of breaking down that branding. And so you've got a, a media. And when I say media, I don't just mean the news media. I mean, what what is the TV shows, the the movies that are being made, that like ev- all the information collectively diminishing the idea of Christianity, and so that again we've talked about it before, but it's a tool of Satan to confuse, yep. and so it's this idea if he can convince that we're not loving and that he is more loving, then that's the side we're going to fall on, and so that to me we have work to do, and we're not necessarily effectively doing that work. Well, I, th- I I think that's true, and what I, what I actually think is happening in our culture is Satan is doing exactly what you said, and he's proving exactly what he's proving that there are a lot of people that don't act like Christians because they're not. Yes. That's a pretty tough statement, but I think it's true, and I think that's part of the position we find ourselves in. So so when we think about the church and our activities and drawing others to Christ, the first thing that has to happen is we have to be Christians, and we have to take you know we we've had episodes on you know spiritual disciplines and, and things of this nature but but w- we have to know more than theology we have to know more than we enjoy coming to church and hanging out with our friends we have to know more than and, and love more than um, preaching or teaching or or the gifts that Jesus gives us we have to know him and and we really have to be in the word and of the word and saturated with Jesus in order to have a starting point and I think part of the challenge is we're operating in an imperfect environment where we've got a lot of people that are believers and some people that are not, and we're all trying to pool together to make something happen, and Satan just causes confusion in all of that. Yes. And that makes it very challenging to get done what should be done. Yes. And and I would I would even 
clarify the statement that we we can't as believers be defined by anger, but that doesn't mean as believers we can't be angry. Yeah, that's good clarification. Right, and so I, I do think that some people are just really hurting right now, and they don't know where to go with it. Yes. And that, again, is a work that the church has to do as we um, uh, equip the saints for service. We have to make sure we're actually speaking truth into that uh, collectively as a body, that we're not allowing ourselves to be consumed in it. Um, but we certainly shouldn't be defined by those attributes because that is— 100% opposed to uh, the truth of the gospel. Right. But having said that, so we first, and, and we talked about this at the elder retreat, right? We, we've got work to do inside the building, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not like we just go, hey, the problem's out there. We've got work to do in, in our own bodies, and we've got work to do with, within our own hearts. And so we have to be just as focused on that piece first and saying that, one, do I have a faith? One, does the person sitting in the seat next to me have faith? And how do I make sure that we're having good spiritual conversations about some of those things? Yes. Um, two, as we strengthen what's happening in there, we could be the most loving body to each other. If we only do it in the building, how's anybody else going to know? And so I think that's really what we're saying. We have to strengthen what's happening in, in, within the body. And, um, you know, we're, we're biased, but we think we're headed on a good trajectory of staying anchored on uh, the gospel message and trying to do things that support that truth. We've got a lot of work that, we've, that has to be done. But now we've got to figure out how to do that. And because the, the culturally needs it, and we have to go out and tell people who Christ is. And that's going to be a lot through... We're going to have to share the gospel message, but we're also going to have to show the gospel message. Right. So I feel like the guy that's coming in here with no solutions and only can point out the obvious problems. But here's here's another obvious problem. I'm sorry. So Were you so, at the elder meeting? Because that's I, what I, we know. Yeah. I, no. <laughs> no. Not in that group. So 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 here's here's the other obvious problem. We have to do all these things at the same time. We're called to it. It's commanded that we do it. And and so so we can't like get the first thing first. Second thing, second, third thing, third. Everything has to be worked at the same time, which I think makes it very challenging. And then, of course, like you mentioned, the outside influences, the satanic effort, the cultural effort, which is fueled by the satanic effort. Um, it really it really wreaks havoc in all this, which kind of puts us— I'm going to go down to the—I'm going to jump way forward and go, thank God we have a sovereign God. <laughs> and that, that all these things that are happening, um, it, it, it doesn't—we we are not called to— perfection in this life as a group we're called to follow god in holiness in faith and in trust and when these things don't work well we're to still trust him and he'll provide and he'll change hearts and and we do not have to rely on our own strength because that's what that's what this all can sound like is us scheming and manipulating and finding ways of influencing and and changing that are all based in our own flesh so so it goes back to what god is willing to do for us um, putting ourselves at his mercy and at his feet and letting him do what he does because we don't do any of this stuff. He does it all. And it, it goes, we've talked about it a while ago, but this idea of submission. Yes. And, you know, if we're, if we're trying to own it and control it, we've missed it. Yes. Right? We've got to first submit to what, what are you asking us to do? I was in a, a conversation with a group of pastors yesterday, um, and that idea of us collectively praying together going, God, we know you're working bigger than our congregation, right? Mm-hmm. Why did you put us together? Why are we in the same city together? Why are we here? Right. Like, what are you doing, God, that we haven't figured out? 
And now how do we be a part of that? Yes. And I think that's the idea of submission is just, you know, not saying that, God, I'm going to now direct you where you need to go. God, let me show you what needs to happen. But just going, man, God, I don't see clearly. I just help us. Our fleshy selves has this idea. I've, I've got this idea in my head. I'm a, I'm a leader. I'm a planner. I'm a, I'm a doer. And so I've got this plan and structure. And what, I, and what I normally try to do as a fleshy man is bring people along that align with me. And I'm going to make sure that um, there's no friction there or as little friction as possible and that they're, they're kind of moving in the same direction in this issue or these issues that I want to be moved in. And, and I'm here to say that that's probably not what should be happening. I mean, what should be probably happening is finding diverse viewpoints in people that are known, um, I, say, I say known as believers, right, that are known personally in, in some sort of depth uh, with some confidence, some assur- assurance that they have assurance that they're they're Christians and working in those aspects. So, so it it seems counterintuitive. I know. I mean, you know, we're used to having a situation where we've got um, someone that's in control of a project, and they want to find people that are going to come alongside them and do the things that they already know they want to do to accomplish the purpose. The Christian life isn't that way. Mm-hmm. The Christian life is bringing a whole diverse group of people, personalities, skill sets, ideas together, and God, the Spirit, working in that group to move in a direction toward Christ. There's a, it's a totally different way of understanding how we're to do things and accomplish things. We don't do them. The Spirit yeah. does them. Right. Well, and as we talk about submission, what you're talking about requires not just uh, elder submission. It doesn't require a pastor to submit. It requires everybody in the body to be submitting, submitting to Christ, submitting to each other, submitting to the, the gifts of the Spirit, in all these different ways, saying, I just desire to submit. And where we have uh, differences of opinion that we are saying, listen, we're going to be way closer to the right answer together. So how do we iron sharpen iron? How do we wrestle through these things and not shy away from the tough problems? Because there's some sparks here. But how do we actually get to a better solution rather than, and, and that's, again, we've, we've talked about a lot of things before, but this this idea of, of cult of personality, uh, that's mm-hmm. what church is built around right now, is that came out of the 80s and 90s and, and is still strong today. We have a cult of personality where you've got a strong leader at the helm, and now you've got a lot of people who are just following after that personality, and that's dangerous. And it's, it, and I, I understand where it comes from. I'm, I'm an equipped leader, right? I, that you, everything that you were just saying, I'm like, yeah, that's how you lead, Steve. What are you talking about? Right. Like, I mean, right. That, well, right? That's, same, same here. Right. And so it is that constant battle of we should be in a cult of personality, but it's Christ. Right. Right. And so how do we make sure we say stay centered there? Right. So we we need Christians who are lovers and submitters. Mm -hmm. We don't need fleshy people who are authoritative and controlling. So that's a a challenging situation to be, because going to your earlier question, I think, wow, we might actually be moving so ever so slightly to an actual answer here. But but so so if, if we've got Christian lovers and submitters, now now we have an opportunity to do good. Otherwise, we're going to do bad, no matter what the outcome is, because it's a man-centered, man-driven thing. So we have to get to where it's a spirit-driven thing. I mean, frankly, ha- we ha- what has to be moved out of the picture are people that are not willing to submit and not willing to show love, and they're, they're the angry authoritarians or the controllers need to be moved to the side or, or helped to see, and by God's grace we'll see, how that needs to change so they can come along 
say, I don't know if the, what the word collective comes to mind, but I'll just say the family, come along and be with the family moving in concert with the Spirit toward Christ. So that drives what, what the outcomes are. So, so absolutely, we can do good things that actually do much harm. Right. Much, much harm, right. because it's a man-centered thing. Right. Um, even if it's a temporary good thing, it could be a Ruby's Pantry thing, right? right? Giving food out to people that want it, need it, could use it, um, whatever it might be. So it does, that, that, that's, that's kind of where I would head for if I'm looking at can good things be bad and bad yeah. things be good. Yeah, and, I, and totally aligned with, with those statements is because, I mean, and we've wrestled with this even even as a, an elder board is that you say something like rubies. I mean, we've talked about rubies for years, is that it serves a really good purpose in the community. Mm-hmm. Often it becomes not gospel leading. And so how, how do we actually make sure that we can do both things? And, and again, you're not going to use Ruby's pantry and I, and I'm not a big person. I don't, I don't see evangelism being that we have to hand somebody a track and you know, that we've got to be so overt all the time. And, but I do think we've got to be building relationships and right now Ruby's because of the time we're living in has become very transactional. You drive your car and you park in the back lot, you drive around, you pull around, somebody puts stuff in your car and you take off like that. That is something that could end up causing uh, an unbelieving person to look at the church as a good thing, right? Like the actual like building process organization rather than actually understanding why we do it. Right. And if we point them merely to a community church in this location, we haven't actually helped them. In fact, if anything, I think that we've hurt them because they, they don't actually have a, have a further step of salvation. They don't fully understand who God is. And so we're going to do some things like this that maybe in that instance we can't, but that may plant a seed in that person to go, hey, I'm at a time of struggle. I know these people want to take care of me, and then we can open up a salvation message or have some some good spiritual conversation. So it's a it's a really hard balance, and it's a really fine line of how we how we navigate the the both and. Yeah, I think so too. So you talk about you know leading with the gospel in those situations, like with tracks and that, and I'm, I'm sure that can be effective at different mm-hmm. places and different times. But somehow we have to get to the point where it's relational. I even think of, and my wife actually brought this up to a degree, and we kind of talked about this a little bit yesterday or this morning. Um, even in prayer. So if I get a, if I get a list of people to pray for prayer needs, and I've got this list of na- names or non names, depending if people want their name or whatever it might be, and a list of prayer needs. Well, I can go through that and pray for those people, but if I've never seen them, don't know them, never will meet them, have no clue, it, it, it's less meaningful, I think, and it's and I can pray more fervently if I actually have a relationship with them. At least if I know, like, I can, I can identify that person with that name, or if I've had a conversation with them, or really if I know them well yeah. in some way. Now I, can, now I can have a more meaningful prayer life with them, and I think the Spirit moves in those situations in much, much different ways. Yeah. So, so dry, always driving toward individual relationships, um, individual ways of connection with people, because people bring people to church, and people at church meet people, and that's how they get to talk about church and stay at church and learn about church and learn about Jesus and perhaps eventually come to Christ. So it is through, I think, personal interaction more than the broad thing. So if the broad thing doesn't lead to some sort of a personal interaction, um, it's not as valuable. People, now go backwards, people need food. I mean, right? Yes. So so, so th- that, that is okay as long as that's not a 
detriment to other ministries of the church. It has to be weighed out in terms of how can we most help people. And the way we most help people is by talking to them and displaying the gospel to them in word and in deed and in the way we live our lives together. That's the most help we can give, and we should always be driving toward that level of help. Yep. It must be a spiritual help, not a temporal help, as the ultimate ultimate end yes. of what we're trying to get accomplished. Yeah, and I think this this idea of moving beyond the sense of that that if I if we do an event, it has to be a worship service or it has to be like I I, I think about I um, had my wife and I had dinner with a couple a month ago maybe. Um, she the wife comes to church, the husband does not, and had some poor experiences previously, and has no interest in anything spiritual or coming to church. Um, but she was like, I just want you to have dinner together. And so he, he was open. I'm great. Right. So we had a great dinner together. We didn't talk about spiritual things. We didn't like, we just got to know each other. Mm -hmm. And at the end he, and, and, you know, like he knows what I do. I know what his position is. So, you know, you, you, you skirt some issues to at least throw some things out there, but it wasn't the point in tension. And so at the end, you know, he's inviting us over for barbecue. Some like that is what it looks like to me. Like we have got to be building these bridges with people that aren't this. He didn't feel like at the end of dinner, I was trying to beg him to come to church. Right? right. I'm not begging him to come to church. I want him to know that I care about him. I want him to know that I love him. And I want him to know that I love him enough to tell him about Christ. Yeah. And so we have to build those relationships with people. And I think we're just not doing a great job of that, both as the church and as a church. And I think we have to figure out creative ways to do that better with an intention and purpose. And but the idea of, of building relationships. I think that's true. I, th I think that, you know, the challenge is to kind of pull that together and build that up into an actual program is much more difficult. So in, in some ways, here, here's here's a paradigm shift, perhaps in some ways. Perhaps rather than the church putting together programs, so here's, this is backwards from the way a lot of people think I know, and I don't know what you all have thought about this as a group of elders, but putting together programs so these things can happen, rather the church puts, makes it more feasible for relationships to happen individually rather than in a group effort. There's a difference there, I think. Yeah. So, you know, being facilitators of relationship drivers, so teaching and helping and and facilitating individual communication and individual relationships and bringing people together as opposed to events that bring lots of people together for yes. little relational yes. benefit. Yes. There's, a, there's a flip side to that that I yep. think can be considered that might be of some value. I know the church at one time, we talked about this, I think, at the last leadership meeting was um, the dinner thing yep. that was happening. Yes. Smaller, not individual, yes. but it was yep. small group. And I know we stress small groups in the church, which I think is a, as a help. And, and the fact that those are not readily taken advantage of at times is not a detriment to the ability to do those things. Yep. It's just the fact that some people are not involved and want to do those things, not spirit-led to do them, yep. or they're 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 led to not do them in some fashion. Right. Yeah. And, I, and again, it goes back to the both and, right? Yes. I think what you're saying is that that we have to give, um, I believe that we've got to give good on-ramps for people who want to, who, uh, talking to a young guy at, at the church who 
coworkers he's got. He's in his early 20s. He's got coworkers from 20s into their 60s, and they are in, interested in spiritual conversation, but um, they're not going to come to church. And there's certainly, you can't start a group with that group of people. They're out vastly different places. But if you can bring them to something to get them to go talk to other people, if we do that well, great. But that also then has to convert itself into small groups or some other um, real intentional relationship building. And then it's also building out disciple makers. And how do we actually get uh, disciples who are willing to make disciples and that we're willing to invest personally in other people? Right. I mean, one, one more little aspect of this culturally, I think. I think the future of the church is not is going to be challenged by culture, government, taxation, all kinds of things to grow into bigger and bigger programs and bigger bigger, bigger churches. I think the the spiritual future of the American church is probably driven down into community and into family and into relationship and trying to prepare for that future. It'll be a thing the church will have to deal with and reckon with and should be doing that right now. Yeah, I don't think we'll get, I, I, and I think you might agree with this, I don't think that we'll get stronger spiritually by being larger churches. I agree. I think we'll get much stronger spiritually by being um, core-driven, and, and you know, there may be where we were talking a while ago about how do we build and expand and grow, it may be we're not going to do that, but we're going to plant something else, or we're going to have some other small bodies. Um, just yeah. think it's we need to build that relationship and that growth rather than worry about how large can we make something be. So the problem's complex. Mm-hmm. Um, there are many moving parts. Um, nothing's perfect in this world. Only only the Spirit has given us perfection where he gives it to us. And we rely on God to, to change us, shape us, um, grow us, and, and he's responsible for the fruit. Yeah. Um, and, and we get to participate in that. It's, it's, a, it's a blessing to do it. It is. It is. And as, as you were saying earlier, the intention has to be pure. Right, that we're yeah. impure people, but our desire should be that we're submitting and we care about the lost and we care about the community and we want to see hearts one for Christ. And if we do that, we're going to fail. God's going to redeem it. He's going to have the glory. And it's going to be a really good thing. It will be. And we'll yeah. rejoice over it. Amen. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Adam.